We have two readings this morning. The first is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, which is, you can see it behind me. It's entitled, Teaching About Anger. <clears throat> you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there and go there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to an officer, and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. The second reading is from Galatians chapter 5, 16 to 23, entitled, Living by the Spirit's Power. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish, amb selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. May the Lord bless this reading from his word. Do you remember the story of King Solomon with the two women? Yeah. Both were living in the same premises and both had just given birth to a baby. One was accused of accidentally smothering their baby in their sleep when they realised that their child had died, swapped them for the other woman's child. Because there were no witnesses or any other way to prove who the mother was of the living baby, King Solomon used his wisdom to call on the letter of the law to give the most fair outcome. Cut the baby in half and give a portion to each woman. 
At this sentence, one of the women pleaded to spare the baby's life and let the other woman have him. Well, that other woman insisted that they all, see, that all seemed fair and was happy to see the child divided between the two. By using the letter of the law, King Solomon used his God-given wisdom to allow the spirit of the law to reveal the heart attitude of each of these women and therefore the, reveal the true mother of the child. In a similar way, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount wants his audience, you and me, to understand the purpose of the law through the Holy Spirit. And so today we explore how God sees the internal heart attitudes that we have, such as anger, as equating to the physical act of murder. And because of this, we'd be condemned, except that we know that God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill the requirements of his law and to be condemned in our place so that we can receive eternal life. What drove that woman to the point that they would be happy to see a newborn baby murdered? Was it bitterness? Jealousy? Perhaps even grief? There are several emotions connected to anger and different types of stress, anxieties, temperaments, situations can often bring out the worst in a person or to be more precise, to bring out our sinful natures. And we see the real heart attitude of the individual when these situations occur. As we explore the passage in Matthew, as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we are going to look at a selection of Bible stories that demonstrate the heart attitudes of various characters. I also want us to consider defining the heart attitude of anger, such as an anger that cherishes resentment and does not want reconciliation. Last week, we looked at how Jesus came to fulfill the law and accomplish it so that we could be saved. The next section contains six paragraphs beginning with, you have heard that it was said. And today we see how Jesus wants us to look at our heart attitude towards one another by pointing out that the heart attitude of anger can equate to murder. One of the extra reasons why we want to explore and study God's word too is because there are people out there who may question it. There will be people who do not know the Bible or have not studied it, and they might um, point out contradictions or they might question it. Um, they might uh, earnestly question it. One of the things that they may ask is, well, how come Jesus said we, wouldn't, we shouldn't get angry, and yet he does in the Bible? And they might even know um, how to re reference that. Uh, one such example is in Mark chapter 3, uh, where the writer stresses that Jesus got angry. The situation is where um, Jesus is in the temple, and he knows what the um, teachers of the law, the Pharisees, were thinking when this man with a uh, withered hand came. And he asks, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill, to murder? But the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, remained silent. And then the writer says, he looked, Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And then he asks the man with the hand to stretch it out and he heals, restores it. And you see the heart attitude of the Pharisees. They went out and began to plot how they might kill Jesus. Or someone might say, well, how about the more well-known example of Jesus in the temple um, with his whip and getting rid of all the markets? And in, in the book of James, we also have the um, verse, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But he also points out 
Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Jesus always sought reconciliation between man and God in every situation, even when he was constantly faced with those who resented him. There will be acts against God's truth and justice that will make us angry. And as with Jesus, it will distress us. The problem is that all too often, that anger for truth and righteousness gets mixed with our own emotions and self-centeredness, so that we find, as James states, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So again, we look at our definition. There is an anger that cherishes resentment and does not want reconciliation. An anger that is in contrast to forgiveness. And if we break down the, uh, that definition in three parts, we look at the idea of cherishing resentment. Cherishing an unhealthy attitude of longing for something not of God. The idea of resentment is the attitude in place of what is good. And then not wanting reconciliation, it's that rebellious attitude in our hearts can sneak in there even when we don't expect it to be there. So Jesus faced this kind of attitude from the religious leaders, and we see in, it, in the attitude of many today. Our job is to ensure that such an attitude doesn't sneak into our lives in that way, and in the way that we respond to one another. Let's take a, a little closer look at the passage from Matthew. Uh, first, um, some, there are some bits that we don't notice until we study and look closely at it. The first part of it, uh, in verse 21, Jesus says, You have heard that our ancestors were told. Now it's interesting uh, to see him use that phrase. And Jesus was talking about a different source for these people uh, where they were getting these instructions from, rather than just in the law of Moses. So yes, um, he, this is, do not murder, is in the law of Moses. Um, but Jesus used that phrase earlier. Last week we looked at how Jesus talks about the laws of Moses and the writings of, of the prophets. Now he's saying, you've heard um, that our ancestors were told. And what was happening here was the Jewish people were, had set up their own court. It was based on the Ten Commandments, but they had neglected some aspects that God wanted them to know. They looked at the external, but not at the depth that they were to look at. Society's laws and foundations may be built on the Ten Commandments, but society has stopped looking at the depth of what God is saying, getting beyond the external and reaching into the internal of God's instructions, as well as that society has ignored the existence of our Creator. Anger that cherishes resentment and does not want reconciliation is what was at the heart of the matter in Genesis 4, the story of Cain and Abel. And we might want to ask ourselves, who was the anger directed to? Was Cain angry with his brother Abel for being more acceptable to God? Was he angry with himself? Was he angry with God for looking at his heart attitude and revealing that he, Cain, had some work to do? Let me read a little bit of the passage um, from Genesis 4. So we know that when they grew up, Abel was a shepherd, Cain uh, cultivated the ground, and as they brought a gift to God, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. God says to him, why are you so angry? 
Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. You must subdue it and be its master. Then Cain goes on to purposely lure Abel out alone to kill him. And when God questions Cain, he says, where's your brother? We get Cain's infamous words. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes, you are, Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, yes we are. And if that is the case, then we need to consider our heart attitude to one another in finer detail. I was pondering on this even just during the prayers and thinking, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. Uh, if you have a need, if you have a, a concern, a distress, then I want to be able to help you out. I might not be able to come up with a solution, but I want to be there to pray with you, to be there with you. And that's a heart attitude I want to grow in myself. Back to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus also said, But I say, if you are even angry with someone. Now, the NIV version, I've been looking at lots of different uh, versions of uh, the Bible. My wife Louise just bought an ESV version, which is intriguing when you read that and see what, um, what words they use. But the NIV uses the word brother rather than just the word someone. But this is where I think NLT helps us because culture, well, God's word does not change, culture sometimes takes a word like brother and narrows it down or changes it around. And so I think culture, society, saw brother as just your Christian brother. Um, whereas NLT says someone reminds us it's not just brotherly love in the church, which should be there all the time, but it's worldwide. It's loving the one who might be in need. It reminds me of the teacher of the law who um, asked Jesus, just for a bit of clarification, well, who is my neighbour? I can imagine him asking the same thing in this case. And, well, who is my brother? He's the one who is in need, the one that you can support and serve. Furthermore, we hear that if you call an, someone an idiot, or in other translations of the word raka, which would mean fool, then it is as if you were murdering that person. In Proverbs, there are three different meanings to the term fall, and it progresses um, to the worst case, the worst accusation, meaning someone who was godless, someone who would not just oppose God, but live in such a way as to rebel against God and do anything to harm anyone who did God's work. Consider what the teachers of the law speak about and accuse Jesus of. In Matthew 12, they say, this man, this Jesus... Uh, does, not cast out, uh, does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, the ruler of demons. And this is what they accuse Jesus of. Uh, and Jesus warns a crowd that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit was not to be taken lightly. So too, if we slander another person and hold them in contempt, then we're doing it to another creation who is made in the image of God. We need to be very careful with our words. And these days it's not just spoken out loud, but also written on our social media platforms and the communications we have with one another. Um, what comes out of the mouth sometimes shows what <coughs> attitudes we have hidden in our hearts. Anger or hatred can come in the form of accusations based on feelings, an individual points of view, past hurts 
from our past that have nothing to do with the other person we might be angry with, guilt or fear or other things. And these can all create an offence, sometimes intended, sometimes unintended, to another person. If we're struggling with a situation with another person, then we need to first check why we are having that heart response to the other person and how we can overcome any negative attitude we have to that person because we are a brother's keeper. Let's explore one more story in the Bible uh, that demonstrates the attitude of anger in contrast to reconciliation and forgiveness. And an excellent example of this is the parable of the prodigal son, which Jesus taught. You know the story. uh, The youngest son comes to his father and says, Give me my inheritance now. What he's really saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. The inheritance was given at the death of a parent, and here the youngest son is saying, I wish you were dead right now so I could take my inheritance. The loving father in this parable gives an example of that love for those who speak ill of him. And not just to his youngest son, because the father acts out the right behaviour to be an example for his oldest son, and then has to explain to clarify the lesson he's trying to show. Let me read from verse 28. You know the story, the youngest son has spent all the money, he looks around and thinks, I'm such a fool, Um, I am here and I should be back to my father, let me go back and um, beg to be just a slave, a servant of his. And he comes back and the father embraces him. He runs out and loves him and brings him in and sets up a a big celebration. But the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but the, the older brother said, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. In response, his father says to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead. The one who wished I was dead was dead himself and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Check out the heart attitude of the older brother. Is that like us with our heart attitudes to others over various offences? The father needed to be an example to his oldest son of the right attitude towards others rather than being an agent that would let his anger grow. And we are called to do the same. Most important, when we take Jesus' lesson on the mount and consider what attitude towards others should be, remember this. Jesus has not left us to strive towards doing the best we can by our own power. Yes, he is our high priest interceding for us at the throne of God right at this very minute. But he also said he would not leave us as orphans. He has sent the Holy Spirit more than just a feeling, the third person of God, in fact, to dwell within us and to battle against our sinful nature and to change our attitudes if we will allow him to. And so we had part of our second reading. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. And we can look and explore these fruit of the Spirit by a little bit deeper by sometimes putting them into categories. And I don't want to do that um, now, just to get you to ponder on this. See, the first three of the fruit, love, joy, and peace, come from experiencing the Holy Spirit within us. The next three, patience, kindness, and goodness, are fruit in the form of our conduct. And the final three of the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, are fruit which can be seen in our character. And if you want to ponder on any part of the message from today, maybe you might like to really reflect on at least these three that can be developed within our hearts rather than just the external manifestations of them. Yes, people will see them if, we are, if they are within us, but what might we witness in our own spiritual life and heart attitudes if we were to reflect on even just three of these spiritual uh, fruit? The challenge I give you today, I give it to myself, is to ask the Holy Spirit to have the freedom in our lives to work on really developing these fruit, first of all, internally in our life. To remove any element of an anger that cherishes resentment and does not want reconciliation and purposely replace that attitude with the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you that you have overcome everything. Forgive me when I have the wrong attitude in my heart when I don't um, serve my brothers and sisters and those in need because I become self-centred or judgmental. I let words come out that should not be spoken. Please forgive me for that. And Lord, I ask, just as you've promised, you've sent your Holy Spirit to dwell in us. We open up our hearts fully to you, Lord. We ask that you would clean the corners of our hearts and our minds which need to be replenished with the Holy Spirit. That we may see the fruit of the Spirit, first of all this week, in ourselves. That we can recognise the power you have over our lives. And Lord, then let it overflow so that it would um, serve you and do works and good deeds to others around you to build your kingdom for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.